What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk. I hope you all had a happy new year and some happy holidays, uh, time well spent with your family. I hope you had uh, got the gifts that, that you wanted to get, and I just hope you had a, a really good uh, holiday, uh, whatever you celebrated. Uh, we here at Family Road Sports ha- had a great holiday. I didn't get to see you, Chris, but um, you know I, w- I was with you in spirit. Um, how, how did you bring 2017 in the, into the new year? Well, New Year's Eve, I, I mean, I think we both know how I did that. I watched mm. the uh, Ohio State game, which uh, wasn't the most enjoyable uh, New Year's Eve in the world, but uh, I definitely enjoyed getting some R&R. I was off work uh, starting Christmas Eve through uh, the day after New Year's Day, so uh, got some things done around the house and uh, saw the family. It, w- it was really relaxing. It wasn't anything crazy. It was just a lot of uh, much-needed downtime to bring in the new year, so that was that was obviously very nice. Yeah, that sounds really nice. Uh, well, you and I were just talking about how I have had the opposite uh, holiday <laughs> season, been really busy, but um, that's really good to hear. Um, you know, with the new year, a uh, lot of people are making some New Year's resolutions. Chris, I know you, do you always make a New Year's resolution? I do. I, I, I think it's important as the year winds down to just kind of evaluate things. And so I kind of take a look at you know, just, just some personal goals and, and try to set the bar a little high for the next year. Some of them I, I achieve and others I fall short. Um, but, but I do, I do make a couple new year's resolutions every year. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, I didn't know if you did every year, but I know that you are one of the few people that has actually been successful with their resolutions. So I I always respect that uh, from you. We, we here down in Nashville, we're trying a sugar-free diet as part of our resolution. So that, that is a, that's a pretty good resolution right there, man. That's, that's an aim big resolution. So good luck there. Yeah. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, my, my problem is I forget about the sugar, but anyway, um, I know a lot of people out there have made uh, New Year's resolutions. Uh, please share them with us if you have them. We thought that we would open 2017, uh, the 2017 season of Clee Talk, with uh, some New Year's resolutions for our favorite teams, uh, our favorite Cleveland sports teams. So um, we're going to talk about the Browns, Cavs, and Indians and give them a, a New Year resolution for, for 2017. Um, Chris, who do you want to start with? Let's start with the one that probably needs it the most, the Browns. Yeah, new new year, new new Browns for sure. <laughs> yeah, meet the new Browns, same as the old Browns, to quote the Who. Uh, kind of really bottom out this year, Bob. I mean, you, you kind of saw it in the offseason last year when they let a bunch of key guys go. But I don't think anyone thought it would be truly be this bad. You know, I thought you know they might win four or five games like they normally do. But but man, they really did bottom out in twenty. 16. So so a lot of areas of opportunity there. Uh, where where do you even begin, man? What I mean, I think we could list off uh, spend this whole podcast listing off New Year's resolutions for them. Yeah, for sure. Uh they they have obviously a huge dearth of uh needs and, and talent deficiencies. Uh, you can make any kind of resolution. Um, for, for me, though, there's a unique opportunity with, with this season, this 2017 offseason in the Browns, that they finally have that number one overall pick. 
And for as bad as the Browns have been, they have not been in this situation for 16, uh, excuse me, 17 years now. Uh, last time they had the number one pick was the second year into this expansion franchise. So um, they have a unique opportunity. So my resolution for them is to finally, uh, I, I don't care how talented some of these other guys are on the defensive side or the offensive side, take a quarterback with that first pick and do something different. Uh, don't wait to take the second or third option. Identify your quarterback. I don't care who it is. Uh, well, I, I would care if you take certain people, uh, but I don't care of the cream of, of the quarterback class. Just take the guy that you believe in, number one overall, and and start your franchise over again. I mean, that's not a bad New Year's resolution. Uh, I'm, I don't want to get into a huge NFL draft debate with you because uh, I, I don't think that this is the time for that. Um, I may slightly disagree with that philosophy, but but at, at the same time, it, it's really hard for me to say what they should do in the draft before free agency occurs, um, especially with some of the Jimmy Garoppolo rumors out there. If they can get him, maybe trade the t- number 33 pick in the draft and get him, uh, that may uh, change what their draft strategy is. I, I certainly think that in some way, shape, or form, they're going to address the quarterback problem this offseason um, I just don't know how it's going to come about maybe it will be number one overall maybe they'll do it in free agency maybe they'll do it via trade I, I don't know but but I, I, I'm not just going to pigeonhole them into going number one overall so I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you I, I just don't know if if that's definitively what they're going to do just yet because because there's still a lot to play out between now and the draft yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I think uh, you and I both agree that the Browns could do anything with those first two picks, and 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 we would be like, okay, yeah, obviously they need a need, they have a need there, but, um, you know, and, and we'll argue draft picks uh, as the draft comes up, but I just think they're in a unique situation to address the quarterback position in a way that they haven't done since drafting Tim Couch number one overall, and I think they need to to seize upon that and just reboot this franchise. Well, my New Year's resolution for the Browns is a little bit different. You see, I I think the Browns need to go back to basics. So one of my New Year's resolutions I always make and one that I always fall short on is I I need to read more. Um, I have a lot of books on my bookshelf that are collecting dust that I really need to start getting through. I always set a high goal of doing at least one book a month. Um, The closest I came was six. Uh, Last year, I fell way short of that. So I recommend that the Browns need to read more. And one book that I would recommend for them is Football for Dummies. Because (laughs) when you read the description of Football for Dummies, I feel like this book could answer a lot of questions that they have. You know, I mean, just, just let me read some of the description. Perhaps you have a friend or a number of friends who have made the football season a ritual. The Browns fan base has done just that. I mean, they start in August, they go through the Super Bowl, but the Browns are never part of that. And to be part of that experience, you need to have working knowledge of the game. This book can provide you with that knowledge and help you relate to the passionate football fans in your life. I mean, Bob, this is the perfect book for them. I mean, on the surface... Football may seem to be a very complicated game, and Lord knows the Browns have not figured it out yet. But it becomes far less intimidating when you begin to understand the fundamentals of the game. Get ready to find answers to all your football questions, such as, does it really matter how all those guys line up on the field? 
I feel like the Browns could use some help in that area. You'll find easy-to-understand explanations for these, these topics and more, including rules and regulations. They commit a lot of fouls. Yeah. Keys to successful offensive line play. Lord knows they need help there. Defensive tactics and strategies. <laughs> Coaches, general managers, and other important folks. And conditioning, training, and diet. Bob, and to top it all off, it's written or co-written by Howie Long, Hall of Famer. I mean, Bob, I, I feel like if the Browns just read this book, they'd at least win five more games next year. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope, uh, oh gosh, I hope no, none of them are actually like photographed reading that book. That would be the most embarrassing thing ever. Um, but I, I that's a... That's a really good resolution for sure. I, I think uh, if Sashi Brown heard you say that, he would be very offended. I know he's a Harvard guy, so um, it has to be well-read in that regard. But um, the way the Browns are run and the way they've played, I, they, they definitely could use that book for sure. Hey, man, you go 1-15. in 15, I'm sorry. Something needs to change at a very fundamental level. I, look, man, Bob, the Browns just need to play better football. I mean, this has been a systemic problem since 1999. You know, they, they rarely develop their draft picks. They rarely identify strong talent. I, I, I just think that, you know, I, I'm not writing off the draft class last year just yet because it's way too early for that. Look, I mean, two years ago, people thought Danny Shelton was a bust. I mean, people were using that label in regards to him. The second half of this year, things started to click, and he's starting to look like a piece that could be a part of this defense for a while. So, I'm not getting. I'm not saying that they're necessarily doing a bad job, but I think this resolution, like many fans, is just a manifestation of our frustration. It has been way too long. I mean, we're going on nine years. I mean, next year will be the ten-year anniversary of the last winning season this team has had. Yeah, I mean, obviously, come on, obviously, something's got to change. Something needs to change. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, definitely. Well, I hope they. Uh, I hope they pick that book up. You know, we can add it to their Amazon list or something. Um, send it to, <laughs> but all right, well, let's, uh, let's make some resolutions for the, the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, in the thick of their season. We'll definitely talk about some of those big games they played later in the podcast. But, um, f- for me, uh, I-, I think that in the new year, the Cavs, um, are, are stressing out a little bit too much and a little bit too early. Uh, they, they seem to be taking these late games in, in 2016 a little bit too seriously and i'm prescribing some rest for our big three um I, i'm particularly concerned with lebron james's minutes uh his average minutes this year are, are 37 minutes uh 37.2 minutes per game uh, that's the highest uh average of the three seasons since he's returned from miami that's like right on par with the the average minutes he was playing while he was in miami um that's just too much uh time uh, in the regular season for lebron we, we know what he can do. We know what he's capable of. Um, and we know that uh, the, the regular season is just a prep for the playoffs. And it's a different animal. And rest and, and health is pivotal to a successful playoff run. So I want the big three as a total to average uh, 33 minutes per game or less from January to the end of the regular season. Um, so obviously that's going to be a big change for LeBron. Um, Kevin Love's already there. He's at 32 minutes. But Kyrie Irving's at 34, and that uh, is just a little bit too high for me. I want him to get rest as well. Uh, I, I don't like it when Ty Lue, uh 
plays an eight-man rotation uh, in, in a regular season game. I, I know they have some depth issues right now, but uh, there are a lot of DNP coaches' decisions in a, in a lot of these games. Uh, the, these games aren't, they don't mean that much. And their health, especially the big three's health and, and, and rest and, and being uh, able to, to perform at their best uh, in the playoffs it, it is more important than anything else. So I'm prescribing some rest for those guys, and I, I hope that uh, Ty Lu and, and, and the staff start to realize that they're playing these guys a little bit too much. Yeah, the alarming one to me is Kyrie Irving because uh, he's never really played a full season in the NBA. He, he always gets hurt at some point. Um, you remember two years ago, he kind of broke down a bit in the playoffs. Um, that caused him to miss the first two months or so of the season. He didn't come back until, I believe, the Christmas Day game. And, and that kind of shortened his season and allowed him to go deeper in the postseason. So I definitely think Kyrie Irving, uh, of the big three, he's probably the one that needs to rest the most. Um, Bob, I kind of have a similar New Year's resolution. You know, the number one New Year's resolution every year is losing weight. I mean, gym membership, sure. I mean, soar through the roof. Uh, everyone's in the gym in January. So, so my advice to you, if this is one of your resolutions, is uh, you know, wait till February 1st to start it because the gym really changes um, <laughs> after January. Trust me. I mean, you're going to see a lot of people disappear on February 1st. Um, so if you made this resolution, wait till February. But anyway, sidetracking, the Browns, I'm mean, not the Browns, excuse me, the Cavs can take a cue from losing weight, namely some of their salary weight. They are capped out to the extreme. And right now, Chris Anderson and Mo Williams, Chris Anderson was a good signing, but he's out for the year. Mo Williams kind of pulled a, uh, a, you know, fast one over the Cavs, the whole retiring, but now he's going to collect his paycheck thing. Combined, they are making $3.7 million in expiring money, but they're clogging up the roster because the Cavs don't really want to sign another guy and go over that luxury tax. So they're going to need to make some creative moves to try to get these guys off their roster and improve their depth by adding another wingman or a backup point guard or something like that. They do have a $9.6 million trade exception for Anderson Varejo. So I would like to see the Cavs shed uh, these two guys who, again, good players when healthy. Mo Williams is retired. Chris Anderson's out for the season. They need to flip these guys into guys who can add some depth and experience, especially at that point guard position, uh, because right now, they just do not have a true backup point guard. Yeah, for sure. That, that is definitely a concern. Um, and I, like you said, that there are huge salary cap uh, ramifications uh, for, for any move that is made. I think that's why we're, we haven't seen a move made yet. I think they're, um, you know, the, the players that they're going to bring in are probably going to command higher salaries because teams are going to be wanting to shed them. Um, so every dollar counts and every day they don't have a higher salary on the team. They, they pay a, a smaller prorated amount. So I think we'll definitely see some deadline deals where they do shed some of that cap weight. They have a couple trade exceptions where they can absorb a larger contract. But um, as of right now, I think they're pinching the uh, pennies and, and just kind of trying to ease that burden as much as they can right now. Certainly, certainly. And I do think that you the, the Cavs have one of the more creative front offices uh, led by David Griffin. Uh, in the NBA uh, so I do think something will get done by the all-star break obviously something to keep an eye on between now and then but I would be pretty stunned if the Cavs did nothing I, I certainly think that they are going to at least shed some salary uh, maybe take advantage of a team's uh, open cap space or something um, because I, I 
I definitely think the payroll I, – I love that they're spending a lot of money, but it is also limiting their options in replacing yeah. some of their yeah, debt. Yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely something to look forward to. I think uh, that resolution will, will definitely come to fruition in some form for sure. Uh, yeah, I think that's almost a given that they're going to add a piece and, and try and shed one of those deals. Um, all right, well, let's move on to the Cleveland Indians. Uh, thick in, in the off season. we'll obviously talk about their – uh, big move that they made uh, over the holiday break. But my resolution for, for our baseball team is uh, they need to go out and get a left-handed specialist. And now you may be saying, wait, they already have uh, the best left-handed specialist in Andrew Miller. That's the precise reason why they need to get a classic guy who can be an out guy for a left-handed slugger. Um, that was uh, probably the, the biggest omission from that Indians bullpen uh, in, in 2016 was that Andrew Miller was the only go-to left-handed pitcher and he's too good to just be a left-handed out guy if you add a left-handed specialist that can get that left-handed slugger out it frees up Andrew Miller even more to be utilized in all the creative ways that Terry Francona is able to use him I think a left-handed pitcher in, in the bullpen in addition to Andrew Miller is, is the Indians biggest need right now uh, since the big move that they made in the offseason yeah, and I agree with you 100%. I actually think they need two. I think they need Miller and two other guys because they have all righties in their rotation, assuming their rotation uh, doesn't, another lefty doesn't crack that rotation. So so I, I, I agree with you. If you're going to carry five righties like you did last year, which I don't think is a problem because if they're the best pitchers, they're the best pitchers, but you do need to mix it up in the bullpen then and ease that burden off of Andrew Miller. Uh, I think Kyle Crockett has had plenty of chances to be that guy. Um, he showed again last year was another year where he was good at times and not so good at times. So maybe he gets things straightened out and can take advantage of this opportunity. But but I'm with you. I do think that they will probably have to make a move and get at least one other lefty in that bullpen, especially if they're going to carry five righties. Or excuse, yeah, five righties in the rotation. Um, but Bob, my my New Year's resolution for them is a lot like yours, and I think they started this in July. You know, a lot of people want to start saving money in the New Year's and, and spend less money. I think you got to flip it for the Cleveland Indians. Spend more and save less because, man, it has been so refreshing to see this team go out and get Brandon Geyer and Andrew Miller and at least try to get Jonathan Lucroy. That, that trade fell apart not because of them. He vetoed it, but at least they tried. And now, of course, we're going to talk about Edwin Encarnacion later, but a big signing over December. Um, you, they, they have gone out and spent. They, they recognize that the iron is hot, and they're going to try to do something about it. They got a good young core. A lot of their key guys are locked up through 2020. Spend more, save less. Prospects are great, but they are prospects. We have seen top-level guys bust all the time, especially on the Indians. Go out, get the guys who can help you take advantage. You were so close to winning the world championship. You were in extra innings on your home park. You had the go-ahead run at the plate in the bottom of the 10th. My goodness, man, it doesn't get any closer than that. And Well, unless you had a 2-1 lead in the bottom of the ninth, then yeah. Well, we won't bring that up either. But the point I'm making here is spend more, save less. I don't care about a prospect that might be good three years from now. I care about a world championship in 2017. And I, I love the mindset that they started at the trade deadline. They've continued it in the offseason. Keep spending the money. Yeah, now is for the sure. time. I, I, I think that's a, a perfect resolution. 
uh, and is a resolution that has been signaled by the Indians for an office that they are they're, they're carrying that out obviously with with the huge Encarnacion signing but like you said with absorbing uh, you know, giving up some prospects for Andrew Miller and also absorbing a really high contract. I mean, uh, if you, if the Indians paid Andrew Miller for the entirety of 2016, he would have been the highest paid player on the team at $9 million a, a year, I believe. So um, they've shown a willingness over the past year to, to spend more. And, and hopefully that continues where uh, if they are a piece away in the summertime, they will uh, add that piece. Um and don't forget that Dolan's brought in a minority owner. They sold part of the Indians to get some more cash. Uh, they they are it, the whole Dolan's are cheap label. I, I think we can put that to bed. I, I think it's a. I think as of right now we can put that to bed because remember they went out and signed Nick Swisher and Michael Bourne. They weren't good signings, but they spent money to get them. I mean they have paid up. It's just. You know, prior to these trades, they they haven't always spent it in the right places. Uh, but I do think that they shouldn't be gun shy because of past mistakes. They've made some great moves in the last uh, six months here. Uh, I think they need to keep it up because man, this yeah. the iron is scorching right now. They've got they were mm-hmm. so close. They could have won this whole thing. They've got a team that could be good for the next three, four years yeah. and a real for sure. Here. Yeah, the Dones are cheap. I mean, I, I get it. I, I think with just with the market restrictions, like any other team in MLB that's similar to Cleveland, they, the Dolans are, are careful, and, and the Indians have to be careful with how they spend their money and when they do it. They won't always be able to sign a big name free agent in the off season. But um, the, the Dolans, to their credit, uh, when when I think the front office uh, presents a very rational and well negotiated deal, uh, they're willing to open that checkbook at, at the right time, like you said. Uh, there's evidence that predates this Encarnacio signing that supports that. Um, so th- those are our resolutions. This is a great time to segue into uh, some of the, the big news that happened over the holiday uh, break. Um, you know, big pieces of news uh, for, for all Cleveland sports teams and even some teams down in Columbus, definitely. Um, but Chris, I mean, let, let's stay on Edwin Encarnacion signing a three-year deal with the Cleveland Indians for $60 million. That's $20 million annually. I believe there's a team option for a $25 million fourth year uh, with a $5 million buyout, I believe. I mean, Chris, Encarnacion going to the Cleveland Indians, that's not normal. I mean, we, we did allude to Michael Bourne and Nick Swisher coming to Cleveland four years ago. Um, even then... Neither of those guys were on Encarnacion's level. This is a guy over the last five years, he's averaged no less than 34 home runs. He has an average of over 100 RBIs over that course. I mean, he's for, for being a slugger, he, he, he doesn't strike out a whole lot. He's not like one of these hit-it-or-miss guys. He, he, he hits for some contact as well as those home runs. I mean, this is one of the best hitters in, in all of baseball coming to the Indians I'm still in shock that it happened. Are, are you coming to terms with it yet? No, I, I still haven't come to terms with it yet because it's the most un-Cleveland Indians move. Bob, in our lifetime, how many times have the Indians done something like this? I mean, yes, they've spent money on free agents, but they generally don't get the consensus top guy on the market. And I, Okay, maybe he wasn't consensus. Because you could argue Jose Batista, things like that. But he was one of, he's a big name, top shelf player. 
You know, this isn't just some value, hey, let's hope Nick Swisher has something left in the tank. This is Edwin Encarnacion. This isn't a, hey, let's sign Mike Napoli to a value deal and laugh all the way to the bank when he hits 34 home runs and 101 RBI a career year at age 34. Uh, Edwin is a couple years younger than that. Napoli will be 35. Edwin's turning 33 soon. Uh, The fact of the matter is, uh, uh, this is great. I mean, I'm on cloud nine. I mean, the the only other signing I can think of that comes close to this is when the Indians signed Oral Hershiser in the mid-90s. I mean, that was a huge name coming into Cleveland, Oral Hershiser. Um, but even then, he kind of had an Ohio connection because he went to college at Bowling Green. You know, Edwin Encarnacion, you know, this isn't like the Cavs getting lucky that the best baseball, I mean, excuse me, basketball player ever was born in their backyard this is a guy who came to Cleveland for a contract that many people thought would be lower than what he'd get on the market. Three years, $60 million, Bob. I mean, for, for Edwin Encarnacion, that's an amazing deal. I, I'm still shell-shocked. I mean, this is a win all across the board for the Cleveland Indians. It's exactly what they needed. It's an upgrade at first base slash DH. Um, and it's a huge bat to put in the middle of the lineup. And, and as good as Mike Napoli was, Encarnacion is that much more intimidating. This is going to help everywhere. And then you start thinking, man, if Michael Brantley comes back and can hit like he did when he finished third in the MVP, I mean, now we're adding a big right-handed bat, a big left-handed bat, and if Jose Ramirez is for real, Kipnis, Lindor. I mean, now you're looking at a lineup that's actually pretty scary at the top. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the Indians ha- had no difficulty scoring runs uh, in 2016. I think uh, that surprised a lot of people. They were they were one of the top score- run scoring teams. They did that by committee, uh, one through nine. They they were a tough out. Um, but the one thing that was missing was an intimidating batter. Now Mike Napoli. Uh, you know, exceeded all expectations. Carlos Santana had a career year as well for, for the home run production. But um, if you ask me, are Carlos Santana and Mike Napoli going to hit 30 home runs in 2017? I, I would say one of them probably isn't going to. I know for sure. Uh, actually, I know uh, I'm a lot more confident in Encarnacion hitting 30 plus home runs in 2017 than either of those guys and everyone else is as well he's a feared hitter he's better statistically uh, than Mike Napoli in just about every offensive category he strikes out less he walks more he hits for more contact he hits for more power I mean it's it's a huge upgrade and I think now we're talking about uh, a a top five bullpen a top five rotation and one of the scariest lineups in, in all of baseball one through nine if, like you said, Jose Ramirez is for real and Michael Brantley come back or comes back healthy and is productive, I mean, this could be uh, one of the best lineups in all of baseball, which uh, I, I, I did not think was, was going to happen when 2016 closed. And by the way, they'll probably still have the Chisholm Hall Geyer platoon, which was a solid platoon in the outfield. Um, you, you still have got Tyler Naquin, who. Hey, he was a top three finisher in Rookie of the Year. I know he kind of, uh, you know, sputtered down the stretch there, and, and in the playoffs the moment was a little bit big for him. But the guy is fast. He he has a little bit of improvement to do on defense. But, man, one heck of a rookie campaign. Uh, Bob, I'm just saying here, man, it's not like they sacrificed that one through nine depth. 
I mean, they, they, they get this guy. He's an upgrade over Mike Napoli, and I'm way more confident in him than in 30 because you want to know why? 2012, 42, 36, 34, 39, 42. That's his last five years, man. 36 was the low, and 98 RBIs was the low the other four years over 100. So I'm very confident that this guy is going to at least hit 30, and I'm hopeful that Santana's breakout year is finally the year we've been waiting for, for him to take the step into the 30 home run plateau. And then if Jose Ramirez is for real... Brantley comes back healthy. I know I just said all this, but yeah. I gotta say it again because one through six, the Indians could be super deadly, super deadly. Yeah, for sure. And they have some outfielders bubbling up in, into the MLB. Bradley Zimmer, uh, Abraham Almonte is coming back from a suspension. I mean, this is a deep, a deep team uh, on basically all sides of the ball. I mean, uh, offensively, uh, they have a, a deep rotation uh, if they can stay healthy. Um, we've talked about the bullpen a little bit. Uh, they're fantastic. I mean, there's no shortage of talent anywhere, and, and they've only upgraded in the offseason. They haven't really lost anything. Uh, it's fantastic. It, it's uh, it's exactly what I wanted them to do. I didn't think I, – I was pretty sure that we were going to see Mike Napoli back on, like, a two-year deal, um, maybe uh, another bargain guy. I had no idea that they're going to spend an average of $20 million on, on one guy over the next three years. And, and, and for it to be Encarnacion, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. And, and by the way, you know, Roberto Perez, you know, the catcher production, production was the weakest part of the lineup. Jan Gomes is traditionally a good hitter if he's healthy. And Roberto Perez in the, in, you know, mid-September through the postseason had a great postseason, was fantastic exceeded all expectations and outplayed Jonathan Lucroy, which was awesome. But, I mean, if Gomes comes back healthy and Perez builds off the way he ended the year, now you're looking at a catcher position that's not a liability. I mean, you, you've, got a bat, you've got two really good defensive catchers. Actually, I would say two above-average defensive catchers. They're, they're, they're fine defensive catchers, two, two. Roberto Perez made some great plays defensively that didn't get talked about enough in the postseason. And they're not liabilities in the offense. In fact, they are not. They're they're going to pull their own. So, Bob, I mean, you've got a great six, one through nine, no weaknesses, elite rotation, deep bullpen. I mean, this is the recipe for a championship right here. Yeah, I mean, 2016 I think exceeded all expectations. Uh, now in 2017, I think the expectations are. A repeat of 2016 and, and going all the way into the World Series and, and vying for that title. I think uh, you. I think you have to assume that based on how they perform in 2016 and how they've upgraded in this offseason. Uh, anything less would, would be disappointing to me. And I, I know, I, I totally understand that there are really other talented teams out there, but I mean they, they've set themselves up for this expectation, and I think. Uh, you know, everyone uh, that that pays attention to baseball is paying attention to the Cleveland Indians right now. Yeah, expectations do bring funny things. Uh, you, you see it all the time. Uh, team play overachieves, but can play loose because they don't have those expectations. Uh, so, so it will be interesting to see how that happens. But they have Terry Francona, one of if not the best manager in the game. Uh, I think anything less than a playoff appearance and, and ideally a division championship would be a disappointment. I, I yeah. think they should at least win the Central. And uh, once you get to the postseason, I, you know, you can't just automatically say they're going to get to the World Series because, you know, it's tough. It, it is tough to advance in baseball. 
Only four teams in each league make it. You're going to play someone good in the first round no matter how you slice it. So I, I'm, I think it would be way premature to just pencil them in for a World Series repeat. But I certainly think anything less than a division championship would be a disappointment. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Well, I'm super excited uh, about the Indians. Uh, pitchers and catchers, man, it's like 39 days away or something like that. It's not uh, too far out. So definitely excited for for 2017 baseball season. Um, have huge expectations for the Indians, like we just said. Uh, Chris, what, what else do you want to talk about that happened over the holiday weekend? Well, I mean, the, the big headline was the playoff game. And, and I know it was a 31 to nothing loss, but Ohio State, getting to the college football playoff, the first non-conference champion to appear in the college football playoff. And they certainly didn't do any future non-conference champions any favor by beginning shut out for the first time since 1993. Bob, I know Clemson's a great team, but you at least wanted Ohio State to, I don't know, give them a game. I mean, it, it was pro- probably Urban Meyer's most embarrassing loss of his entire coaching career, not just with Ohio State. Yeah, I, th- I do believe it's the first time Urban Meyer has ever been shut out as a head coach. Um, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I, I do believe I read that. Um, definitely embarrassing. That is true. Excuse me? Uh, I was just saying that's true. Okay. You're good. Yeah. Um, yeah, that certainly was an embarrassing showing on New Year's Eve. I mean, Chris, this was the game that everybody circled as what we all thought would be the most entertaining game of the bull season, and it was a 31 to nothing blowout. Um, the Ohio State's offense was terrible, and we've seen a full regression over the start of the season where they're able to go into Oklahoma uh, early on and just blow them out uh, on both sides of the ball. Um, the defense ha- has held true uh, through most of the season, but that offense has just regressed into being able to do nothing but hammer JT Barrett up the middle uh, throughout the game, whole game. And uh, I-, I think that's really shocking. Uh, I-, I was really shocked with this result. And I think it's uh, you know a clear sign that the-, the Ohio State Buckeyes focus in the off season and heading into 2017 needs to be developing a passing attack that can supplement Urban Meyer's option game. Yeah, I mean, I I know you were surprised because you picked the Buckeyes to win. Um, but and like, unfortunately, my pick on the Tigers panned out. I did not want Clemson to win, but all leading up to the game, I just had this sinking feeling that you know Ohio State looked awful against Michigan State and Michigan, and I'm still trying to figure out how they won both those games. Um, you know, great season. They went 11 and one, but but you're right. I mean, this was a very young team. You know, when we went into the season. I think 11 and 1 exceeded all expectations. I think both of us thought the Buckeyes would lose probably 3 games. Um the Oklahoma result certainly a shocker things like that. Um so so you, I can't get too down on them because they were a young team. I think when they finally went on the road in conference, it started to rattle them a little bit cuz things started turning at that Wisconsin game and then they got lost to Penn State and then i think they just kind of got discombobulated a little bit it's not that they were bad i'm not saying there was a rift or anything i just think that they had had the growing pains late instead of early if that makes sense yep and it just kind of popped up at the worst time yeah, I, I get the young argument because they certainly are young. Um, in, the expectations changed when they went into Oklahoma and, and run them out of the, ran them out of their stadium. I mean, once they, they did that, I think everyone was like, okay, I mean, Ohio State looks like they're 
the cream of the Big Ten again, and they have that expectation uh, for the rest of the season. Uh, what, what's most shocking for me and, and what doesn't fit that the young narrative is that the, the worst part of the Ohio State regression is JT Barrett, who, who has been on and off again, the, the, a three-year starter. I mean, due to, due to injuries, he didn't finish that his first year. Um, and then you know him and Cardell Jones kind of split time to start off, but he regained that starting role. I mean, th- this is your leader, the, a guy that you're accustomed to being an offensive weapon, um, and he just had a, a huge inability to, to throw the ball. Um, his re- receivers ha- haven't really helped him all year, um, and, and some of those guys are, are season as well. Um, but I think it's the, that's the, the oddest part about it is that, yes, there's youth on, on both sides of the ball, but um, you have a, a seasoned veteran quarterback that, uh, a lot of people think it was one of the more talented quarterbacks in college football this year, and he just ha- completely regressed in, into a, a very poor quarterback by the end of the season. No, I, I agree with that, but I, I also think part of the problem with Ohio State is uh, it, Ohio State's always been a team that when they have a great running back, they have a lot of success. You look at their championship in 2002, Maurice Claret. You look at their championship in 2014, Ezekiel Elliott. You look at in 2015, the one game they lost was they didn't feed Zeke the ball enough. And, and I think that they need to build a team that has a dominant run-blocking offensive line and feed a guy like Mike Weber a lot. And that just makes things so much easier for the quarterback. They won national championships with Craig Krenzel and a guy in Cardell Jones who had only played his third game. His third game of his career was the national championship. When you have a tried-and-true Ohio State identity of running the ball and branching everything out from there, and and not just running the ball with JT Barrett, I mean running the ball with a true blue-chip running back, uh, that's when Ohio State's been the most successful. So I, I do think that they kind of got away from that and relied too much on JT Barrett's legs. And I think JT Barrett showed throughout the year that, that he is a great athlete and he's a great uh, prospect, but I, I don't think he's a great quarterback. I just don't think that he can make those kind of throws and be asked to do the things that an elite quarterback can. So I think you have to build your team from the running game out. Yeah, for sure. The offensive line play wasn't... Uh, it was definitely a problem Um, only three sacks for Clemson but 11 tackles for a loss so they were in the backfield all night Um, and that was kind of the case against Michigan as well so there is definitely room for improvement Uh, like we said they are young so uh, a lot of those guys will be returning but um, a big question mark at at quarterback for sure Um, uh, and a lot of room for improvement certainly certainly Bob we had a ton of news happen as you alluded to uh, earlier Bob, we can rest easy on the Browns. They are not going to be there with the Detroit Lions at 0-16. The 0-16 club remains at 1. They got the win against San Diego. And then San Francisco beat St. Louis, so it's all preserved. The number one draft pick. Uh, Pittsburgh's backups did beat the Browns in overtime, though, which kind of tells you how far apart the two teams are. Yeah. But, Bob, are you glad that, that they avoided the 0-4? Oh, for sure. I mean, you don't want to be the, the – you don't want to set a tie record in futility in, in any situation. I, I'm, I'm super happy that they won a game. You know, now the Browns are just a, a, a really bad team. They're not a historically bad team. Um, I'm sure they set some records in futility with yardage or whatever, but uh, they won't go down in history as an 0-16 team. I, I'm really glad, I think, for a team that's so young and youthful, um, that win was super important in their first year. 
and 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 isn't going to be demoralizing in the future to have that 0 and 16 season hanging over their head or, or even going into the off season i think they can kind of you know have have some peace of mind that they did win a game in 2016 as sad as that sounds but um i'm, I'm really glad that they won that game yeah me too i mean at the end of the day uh you know, I, I'm glad that they were able to have their cake and eat it too. They got to one in 15, and they kept the clear number one pick, no tie, no nothing. Um, so, so that that was the best of both worlds, well, if you can call a one in 15 season best. Yeah. But, but Bob, I mean, I'm, I, deep down, I'm glad they lost to Pittsburgh for two reasons. One, if you beat Pittsburgh's backups, in my mind, it doesn't count. I know that it would break the 16-year streak of not winning in Pittsburgh, but no, to me that doesn't count. And two, you would be beating a team that's not trying to beat you and shooting yourself in the foot by moving down in the draft. So to me, if 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 Pittsburgh were playing for its playoff life, and Ben and Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell were playing, and you had a shot to beat them, yeah, I could get behind that. Spoil your rival, move down in the draft, but it's worth it just to stick it to your rival. But that game meant nothing to me when Pittsburgh pulled all their starters, didn't even play their starters. It's like, no, just lose this game. Don't lose the number one pick. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's I feel bad cheering, not wanting my team to win. Um, but you're right. In that situation, I definitely didn't want them to win that game because it didn't really mean anything. I think it would give people false hope, and I think it would just be an, another – fruitless win at the end of the season that has actually hurt the Browns when it comes to draft position and getting the guy that they want um I, I'm glad that they lost that game in, in retrospect and, and now it sets them up to you know be the truly worst team in, in the NFL in this season and, and draft number one overall and, and I'll say this again if Big Ben and Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and all the other starters they've rested were playing for their playoff lives and the Browns had a shot to knock them out of the playoffs, go for it because that is worth moving down in the draft. Who cares about the draft? Stick it to your rival. Maybe even reignite the rivalry, whatever. And doing it in Pittsburgh, that would have meant something. But they had clinched. They were punting the game. Beating Landry Jones and all the backups doesn't do it for me. Take the number one pick. Yeah, for sure. Um, all is right there. They have that number one pick. They have a win. Um, it's the little things with the Browns uh, in the, at this stage of the game. One book could change all of them. Yeah. yeah, they need to get get on their reading now that they have nothing to do except scout draft players. But um, the Browns are uh, exploring uh, you know, training camp in Columbus, so we will take a drive down there and talk about uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, we don't talk about them a whole lot, but they are uh, on the verge of history have a 15-game winning streak in the NHL that is tied for the second-longest win streak in NHL history, only behind the Pittsburgh Penguins of the early 90s at 17 wins. Um, interestingly enough, they, they played the Minnesota Wild uh, on New Year's Eve, where both had 10-game win streaks. They both came into the league at the same time as uh, uh, expansion teams. I thought that was uh, kind of a, a cool matchup, and, and the Blue Jackets ended up winning, and, and now they're at 15 games uh, strong. Uh, I mean, Chris, that, that's really impressive. Uh, you know, the Blue Jackets are um, 
very analogous to the Browns and are an example of futility in, in the NHL. It's it's really surprising that they're embarking on this win streak. Yeah, because last year they had 34 wins, 40 losses, and 76 points, and right now they have 26 wins, 5 losses, and 56 points. So they're 20 points away from matching their point total last year and 10 wins away from matching their win total last year. I believe the best record in all of the NHL. So, I mean, Bob, this is unbelievable, the turnaround they have. 15 games in a row in hockey is just unheard of. I love it. I love to see the Blue Jackets have some success and and make a deep run in the postseason. I mean, heck, you know, all this stuff. Last year was the year of Cleveland. I mean, you had the Indians in the World Series, the Cavs and the Droughts, um, and the Buckeyes got to the semifinals even though they lost. Maybe some of this magic is starting to just rub off in, in Columbus too because our brethren down south in Columbus generally support Cleveland teams, so I think we should... Uh, extend an olive branch their way and support their teams as well I am all for this man the the Blue Jackets man go for it yeah and their minor league team the Lake Erie Monsters now the Cleveland Monsters did win uh, their championship last season so maybe that's bubbling up or trickling down uh, I-71 to Columbus and and uh, they're embarking on a successful season uh, the crazy thing, though, is despite a 15-game win streak, they're only one point ahead of the Pittsburgh Penguins for, for first place in their division. I mean, you think of going on a historic win streak, you'd be miles ahead of your competition, but they're just they're neck and neck. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, you know, Penguins are no slouch, though. I mean, they still got Sid the Kid. They, they've got a really good team. So, hey, man, got to keep winning, man. You, you can't take a night off. But, hey, you know what? They're going to lose at some point. I mean, you, you're obviously not going to win out. But I just think it's cool that finally a franchise that, 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 like you said, is just ever since they've come into the league have just not been able to get things together um, are finally starting to click. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, yeah, just one final note on the Monsters, guys like Lucas Sedlek who were, uh, excuse me, the Blue Jackets, who were key to that Monsters uh, Calder Cup win are actually playing for this Blue Jackets team. They're starting to bubble up, uh, see some time on the ice. So, uh it's pretty cool. I mean, Bob, the you mentioned the Monsters uh, being their minor league franchise. The Monsters won the Calder Cup last year, so it's good to see that things are starting to bubble up to the NHL level. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, that's a good sign when your minor league team wins the championship and, and you want that to uh, translate to success uh, in years down the road. So definitely good news. Uh, they play. Uh, uh, we'll see uh, how, how the Blue Jackets, how long that streak uh, lasts. Hopefully it, they're, they're able to break that record, but um, definitely exciting for them. Um, Chris, what else happened over the holiday break? Well, Bob, I, I, I don't know about you, but I watched that Cavs game on Christmas Day, and that is the most intense, excited whatever I got for a regular season NBA game in a very long time. Uh, that is probably the closest thing to a playoff basketball game I've experienced in the regular season. What about you? Yeah, that that game was crazy. <laughs> I watched the whole thing. Um, I think I called you uh, to say Merry Christmas right before it started or as it started. Um, I found myself like cheering really loudly in the fourth quarter, um, and I didn't think I would because I just kept telling myself, oh, it's just a game, it's just a game, but... I mean, they erased a 14-point deficit. Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson looked unstoppable. Uh, they were playing without J.R. Smith, and somehow, some way, they just found a way to come back 
well, I know how they came back. It was Kyrie Irving going off and LeBron James, you know, finishing monster dunks. Um, it, it, it was fantastic and it reminded me just how it took me right back to, to June, to the end of June against, you know, playing against the Warriors in that seven game series. It felt exactly like that. And I think uh, if either side said they weren't trying their hardest, I think they're completely lying and just trying to save face. <laughs> um, you could tell how, how much both sides wanted to win that game. And I was right, right there with them, and I, it was super intense. Uh, Bob, I mean, when LeBron James hangs on the hoop after a dunk for about five seconds, uh, you know uh, it's not just a regular season game. I find it funny that Richard Jefferson gets a tech for winking at Kevin Durant after a dunk, and then LeBron, like, rides the rim and almost breaks the hoop and no tech there. So anyone who's worried about the whole refs calling different rules for uh, stars and non-stars, I mean, uh, it clearly exists, yeah. uh, manifested itself right there. But but you're right, But the game was phenomenal, and I think it's time to admit Kyrie Irving has the Warriors number. I mean, this guy can pretty much get whatever he wants, and I think he just starts licking his chops whenever he sees Steph Curry guarding him because Curry just can't hang with him. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, they don't try to put Curry on, on Irving. They try to put Clay Thompson on him as as much as possible. Uh, you know, Clay was the one that was guarding him when when Irving hit that game-winning shot at the end of, of the game. Um, yeah, I, I think that you know we used to say that the Warriors uh, could not be stopped by the Cavs, that the Cavs were outmatched and had just had poor personnel for the Warriors. I think we might be seeing a shift in, in that in that. Um, the Cavs can shoot the three just as well as the Warriors can. The difference being, I think the Cavs are a lot more physical and are a lot better at rebounding. And for whatever reason, the Warriors, uh, that their style of play uh, is showing signs of weakness when they go up against a physical rebounding team like the Cavs, but a team that is still able to shoot the three just as well as them. I think um, the Cavs might have an edge against the Warriors right now, even though Kevin Durant is on that team now. Hey, I think Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love are two of the five best rebounders in the game, and LeBron James is one of the ten best rebounders in the game. That's three top ten rebounders. You're absolutely right. The Cavs are a infinitely better rebounding team than the Warriors. They can run with them with the three because they have guys like J.R. Smith, Kyrie Irving, who can shoot it with high consistency, and Kevin Love. But the flip side is they can – get physical with them they can make them pay for playing small ball and I think it's the perfect combination uh and the perfect sort of cure for this Warriors switch everything super matchup kind of offense yeah for sure I mean I watched that game and barring good health for everybody I mean there's no way these teams aren't going to meet in the NBA finals oh absolutely I think that the Warriors have now shown that there's a drop-off between them and the Spurs and the Clippers, too. I, I, I would be stunned if the Cavs and the Warriors uh, struggled in the playoffs until the finals, uh, barring, like you said, a major injury. Yeah, I think it's as, as sure a thing as, as you can bet on in sports right now. And it's the best rivalry in basketball right now. There is true hatred between these two teams. That is rare in any sport, but we have a situation where these two teams really, really do not like each other. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you could definitely tell. <laughs> but oh, one quick note sticking with basketball, college basketball. Kent State goes down to Austin and beats Texas in Texas. Bob, pretty good win for the Flashes uh, right here in our backyard. 
Yeah, admittedly, I don't know much about either team and where they're at in their seasons. But I mean, if you're telling me Kent State was on the road at, against the Texas Longhorns in football or basketball, I would think that Texas would run them out of the arena. So that has to be pretty impressive. Certainly a big win for the MAC. Uh, I'm not in college basketball mode yet, but I'll be getting there soon once conference play starts. Uh, Bob, going to go through quickly. Uh, we got some picks to make, man. It's wild card weekend. Uh, so a couple questions. Who do you think is going to win this weekend? And then of the teams on each side, who do you think is most likely to reach the Super Bowl playing this weekend? Well, I, I think that the AFC is the easiest. Obviously, you have Raiders, Texans, and Dolphins all with huge quarterback questions. I mean, the Raiders and Texans, I, I, I'm not even going to pay attention to. I, I think it's the Steelers. Obviously, they have the biggest potential of those four teams to, to reach the Super Bowl. I think the Raiders, Texans, and Dolphins are are barely deserving of being in the playoffs. I wish one of those NFC teams that, that, that missed out could switch over. We could you know, flex in the Broncos because they are a complete team at this moment, but I think it's a st- I, I also wish that Ryan Tannehill and Derek Carr didn't get hurt. I think if Derek Carr were healthy, it would be a lot more intriguing. That those oh, are sure. two unfortunate injuries. For sure. I mean, I think if Derek Carr were healthy, it wouldn't be the Raiders in the wild card game to begin with. Um, but I mean, we, we we could figure out that uh, potential what ifs or whatnot. But I think as it stands, you know, the Steelers obviously are, are the best in the in the AFC of those four teams. Uh, the NFC is a much more challenging group, uh, one through six. I don't think that the Cowboys are that much better than the rest of the field. Um, I, I like the Seahawks and where they're at. You know, I'm a Seahawks fan, so I'm going to lean that way a little bit. But I think of those four this weekend, I think the Seahawks could make that Super Bowl. Um, well, that's supposed to make picks, too. Sure, yeah. Yeah, let's make picks. <laughs> okay. Sorry, I got a little carried away with the Super Bowl potential matchup. Um, but yeah, I think the Seahawks are going to beat the Lions. I think the Packers are red hot right now. I think they're going to overcome the Giants, though it is 2016, which is four years after 2012, which is four years after 2008. Uh, it's also a year in which the Patriots are widely viewed as the favorite to win the Super Bowl. So the Giants might be onto something. Who knows? But I'm going to stick my money with the Packers. Um, heading back to the ASC, I'm going Steelers, obviously. And then uh, I, I think the Texans are, even though they technically have their starting quarterback, they're just less talented than the Raiders. I think the Raiders will win that game. Well, the Raiders might be starting Connor Cook in that game. So there is some real question marks at the Raiders because their backup, uh, McGloin, got hurt in Week 17. So I honestly have no idea who's going to win this game, but I know this for sure that unless the Dolphins pull a monumental upset over Pittsburgh, because I think that's the easiest one to pick, I think the Steelers will beat the Dolphins, uh, the Patriots are going to feast on the Raiders-Texans winner. The Patriots are the biggest winners, by the way, with that Kansas City getting that bye and avoiding that both them and Pittsburgh till the AFC Championship game. But I think the Texans will win, the Steelers will win, and I agree with you, the Steelers are most likely to get there, but I still think the Chiefs will handle them. Um, going to the other side, though, I'm going bold because if I'm a Dallas fan, I'm cheering hardcore for Detroit because the two teams you don't want to play right now are the Giants and the Packers. I think, like you said, this could be a Giants year. You're a little off, though. It was 2007-2011. The Giants may be delaying their miracle run by a year. It's been five years, but I think the winner of that game, Packers and Giants, is going to the Super Bowl, and I'm picking the Packers because Aaron Rodgers said they were going to run the table, and they are going to go into, they're going to beat the Giants, beat the Cowboys, 
maybe, or beat whoever. They're going to go to the Super Bowl. I think the Seahawks might struggle a little bit more than, than you'd think with the Lions, but because it's at home, they will take care of business. Should be entertaining in Atlanta. I, I actually think the Seahawks have some serious problems, uh, really struggling to run the ball. They'll be okay at home, but I think when they go on the road to Atlanta, they might struggle a bit. Yeah, it should make for a, a fun fun NFL postseason. I'm excited for it to get started. I'm disappointed in some of those AFC wildcard matches, but um, oh, I think overall. Me too. Be- I mean, saddest story is Derek Carr's injury. I, 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 I feel so bad for the guy. And honestly, I, I it, it definitely changes the dynamics of the AFC. For sure. I mean, you're talking about a guy that potentially was the MVP of the league. and, and you know, He, he still could win it, even despite the injury. Um, but I don't know how you don't give it to Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion. But all righty, we got another championship game to pick. Bob, we didn't get both games right. My mega upset didn't happen. Uh, but both of our champions are playing against each other. I had Clemson, you had Alabama. As as you know, we both picked the opposites. So, are you sticking with your pick in the final? I am. Uh, I saw nothing uh, about Alabama that gave me concerns. Now Clemson looked absolutely dominant against Ohio State, but um, you know Alabama did what I kind of thought they would do. They, they, the defensive line came alive in the second half and just made Washington completely unable to move the ball offensively. Now on the flip side, Alabama uh, showed some struggles moving the ball. They had a lot of opportunities. That score should have been higher, and they weren't able to. And now Lane Kiffin is not even going to be their offensive coordinator for the title game, which is, I don't know, uh, strange and odd uh, that, that that's happening. But um, It's Lane Kiffin. It's the yeah. definition of strange and odd. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but I, 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 I think Alabama still is going to do it. I think it's going to be a fantastic game. I mean, I, I think Clemson is on firing on all cylinders, and this is a rematch of a fantastic championship game from last year so i think it's gonna be close i think it's gonna be fun to watch but i I, i'm still sticking with alabama a couple of things first revenge factor sticking with clemson two yeah i do think that loss was more about ohio state than clemson but that clemson defense has been a very underrated unit and washington's defense was one of the reasons i picked them to upset the crimson tide the crimson tide's offense has quietly been not so impressive if Clemson's defense shows up the way it did last time around I think they're going to beat Alabama I'm sticking with them because I think their offense is a little bit more explosive and and can you know Alabama's defense is going to give them problems but I think that they can handle that a little bit more than Alabama's offense can handle Clemson's defense so that Washington game 24-7 was closer than the final score looked. Washington was in it the whole way until that big run early in the fourth um, and a terrible pick six at, with one minute left in the half. When when that happened, I was starting to feel not so good about my pick. But Washington, surpri- I think they surprised some people. I think Clemson will win, mainly because of the revenge factor. But the other thing is I think that defense is better than it's getting credit for. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be a good game, but I, I – I- there's just something about that Alabama defense that I think that they're just uh, a championship winning defense and they find a way to make plays. Uh, you alluded to to that pick six. I mean, that was right in a moment where Alabama was unable to score at all. And, and you know, somehow, some way, I mean, it was immediately a mistake by Jake Browning and whatnot, but the defense came up and, and scored what is a league leading defensive touchdown. So um, I, I just think that they have the, the, the magic unit right now. 
Oh, I'm not taking anything away from Alabama's defense. That thing is awesome. But, um, you know, like you said, I think it's going to be an excellent game. Um, but I do think Clemson will win. Uh, Bob, any before we go here, man, we've jam-packed a ton into this podcast. But any other impressions from bowl season? Um, the Rose Bowl was fantastic. It was my game of the season. Uh, that that was just a crazy game. Game of the bowl season, excuse me. Um, Four and a half hours long, man. Come on. We got to shorten this thing a little bit. But, no, I agree. It was a fantastic game. Yeah. Um, most of the others were, were somewhat disappointing. Um, you know, I, I the, the Big Ten had a lot of marquee games, and they didn't. Uh, they only won against uh, Western Michigan uh, on New Year's Day, and then Michigan lost and Ohio State lost as well. So I think that is definitely a takeaway. Um but nothing really surprising uh, other than, you know, just how fantastic that Rose Bowl was. Yeah, I agree. The Big Ten definitely did not look good. Kind of like the SEC a couple years ago, that West Division got a black eye on it, and now the Big Ten East with their three teams in the top six all lost. Not very good. I will say this, though. Um, that that Michigan-Florida State game was fantastic, too. Um, both the Rose Bowl and the Orange Bowl could have gone the Big Ten's way. I mean, it was a nip-tuck last team to have the ball wins kind of thing. I feel terrible for Jabril Peppers not being able to play in that game, injuring his hamstring like the night before. That is rough. I mean, to lose your best player that close to the game and still almost win, um, you know, obviously uh, it's tough. I feel bad for the guy because he had a fantastic season, and you just don't want to see a kid's career uh, potentially um, you know, end that way and not be able to play um, in the biggest game of the year. Yeah, that that was certainly a bummer. And, and a guy like Jabril Peppers, who you know was a was a Heisman invitee, that that certainly played a factor in Michigan struggling early in that game. One other thing, I watched that Western Michigan Wisconsin game. It is time to expand the playoff to eight. Western Michigan, even though they lost, played Wisconsin tough. They can play with teams. I think the Group of Five champion deserves a shot every year. And Corey Davis. Whew, I think he's going to be one heck of an NFL player. For sure. I, I was pretty impressed with, with how close that game was. I thought it was going to be a blowout on Wisconsin's side. All righty, guys. Well, we uh, added a little bit to this podcast because we uh, didn't record last week and we had a ton to talk about. Uh, so thank you all for listening. Uh, hopefully you guys will be successful in your New Year's resolutions. Hopefully all of Cleveland's sports teams will be successful in the New Year's resolutions we pick for them because that likely means they will have a lot of success. Um, but until next week, we will be back with another episode of Clee Talk. Please check us out at FenleyRoadSports.com. Click the little iTunes icon in the corner and subscribe, or you can search Fenley Road Sports on iTunes and click Clee Talk. Thank you for your support. Please come back. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Just search Fenley Road Sports. And we, of course, will be back next week with another episode of Clee Talk, focusing all on Cleveland sports and our brethren down south in Columbus. But until then, uh, man, I don't know who to say go to, man. No no one's really playing a big game. Go Cavs, I guess. Yeah, I guess it has to be the Cavs for sure. Uh, go Cavs. <laughs> uh, Happy New Year, Chris. Uh, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, man. Same to you, Bob.